Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another live episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And uh, as I often say, but I really do mean it today, you're in for a treat uh, with a new best guest and two familiar faces. Uh, New York police, as we have said before, appear to have cracked a 13-year-old cold case. Evidence, however, is now building against accused Long Island serial killer Rex Hurman, who is back in court today and even spoke very briefly. And we're going to dissect all that. Best guest today had the uh, distinct pleasure of meeting him at CrimeCon. Joseph Jacqueline is a retired NYPD sergeant. Uh, an internationally recognized expert. He has an extensive background in criminal investigations. He's held many prestigious positions in the NYPD, but he says his favorite was uh, the commanding officer of the Bronx Cold Case Squad, the Bronx, where my dad grew up. He has trained investigators from all over the United States and the world. Uh, he is the author of The Criminal Investigative Function, a guide for new investigators, published by Loose Leaf Law. Uh, Lisa Ribikoff comes to us from Long Island, either Long Island or Manhattan. She bounces around. She's a licensed private investigator and advanced trained uh, polygraph examiner based out of New York, Florida, and Connecticut. She currently serves on the board of directors for the American Polygraph Association as a seminar program chair and is also on the National Cold Case Task Force. Uh, she is listed as a court-certified expert for private investigations and polygraph examinations for the city of New York and both NASA and Suffolk counties, which is what we're talking about today out on Long Island. Last but certainly not least, we've got Mike King. He is the creator and host of Profiling Evil. First time on STS. We are very glad to have him. Uh, he, you can find Profiling Evil on both YouTube and uh, in podcast form anywhere you listen to podcasts. He also has the podcast Mapping Evil with Mike King in Southeast Asia. He appears regularly on Court TV, The Dr. Phil Show, News Nation, and other mainstream news and entertainment programs and served a five-year term on the board of directors of the Cold Case Foundation before stepping down in 2021. He also worked alongside the FBI, state, and local law enforcement. He has a very storied career. And before we get cracking, uh, there is breaking news tonight, and we always deliver it to you. The remains of missing Colorado mom, Suzanne Morphew, have been found three years after her disappearance. Mike King was all over this. Mike, your reaction to that news? Well, I'll tell you what, for the family members that truly loved her, that's, this is great news. And uh, for a suspect in the case out there, this is probably a pretty uncomfortable day. Uh, if, if in fact she was truly murdered and the question has always been, did she decide to give up this great life and leave children that she loved and a, a boyfriend that she had on the side and head off to Mexico and enjoy a life? Or did something tragic happen to her? And so I think it's going to be really interesting, Joel, to find out what the condition of her body is at this discovery site. Is there something to indicate that she went in there under her own power, had an accident, 
or is, as some have theorized, that she was dismembered and this is only going to be parts of her that were recovered? And, and, and frankly, where, where was she recovered and how on earth would you somehow explain how her body ended up where it is? Yeah, we, uh, as expected, law enforcement is very tight-lipped um, about uh, you know, what they recovered and the condition um, that they recovered those remains in. Uh, Joe, I would suspect that you would not expect anything else from law enforcement uh, in, in terms of not revealing too much information about that, at least at this point. Is that right, Joe? Exactly. That's just standard 101 stuff. I mean, it just leaves it open to all kinds of speculation because we know there was already problems with the case, right? The district attorney was already uh, had problems with discovery and the case got kind of tossed whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see how that this plays out now with some new information. Yes, the medical examiner is going to play a big part in this. And the worst thing that can happen is that they come back with an undetermined manner of death. And now we're really stuck with a situation where we don't know exactly what happened or transpired. Uh, that's an interesting point. So you do not want an undetermined manner of death. Laura says, I love Commander Mike King. He has so much wisdom, awesome experience. Um, Mike, you mentioned it. Um, whoever the perpetrator was here, uh, the suspect, it's got to be an uncomfortable day uh, for that person. It is 2023. Um, I mean, how good is forensic science these days in terms of being able to sort of break down uh, what they find and you know, tying it potentially to a suspect. Well, you know, it's the best we've ever had and it will be even better next year and the years that follow. But I think that's what brings a lot of real hope to cold cases. Uh, you know, when probably when Joe and I were like young starting off officers, we never imagined the things that are happening today and the ability that we have to recreate things. And so I, I look at this really positively. I mean, we're going to be talking about Lisk tonight. 13 years ago, somehow he had a hair show up on the body of a victim. And uh, 13 years later, it's part of what is in the affidavit that, that is uh, charging him with murder. And uh, we're going to hear about that hair and some of the DNA from there. Joe Jackalone, I'll put you on the spot. Are they going to figure out who the suspect is behind Suzanne Morphew's uh, possible murder here? Well, I'm sure they already have their eyes posted on somebody or something. Remember, this has been going on for three plus years. I'm sure they've had uh, a lot of other evidence that they've discovered in the case. And they're going to now listen. You got to find the evidence to go along with it. I don't have much hope to finding much other than skeletal remains at this point because you have to deal with the elements, of course. The, uh, you also have to deal with animal activity, insect activity. So I, I really don't anticipate much in that, in regards to that kind of um, information. But that whole scene is going to be excavated. And, you know, if, the, if she was uh, put in on something, whether it was plastic or a blanket or anything, that could prove to be helpful. But uh, that all remains to be seen and... Uh, I, I've been the, I've been there where you find things like this, and it, it, there's a lot of luck that goes along with with guarding the evidence at this point. And uh, just a quick programming note: we're already working on a special Suzanne Morphew show. I wanted Mike King since he's been all over it, but he's going to be flying tomorrow. But we're looking to do it at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So please follow me on Twitter. That's where I post show times at Podcast STS. Uh, you can also follow us 
um, on Instagram where I post things like the highlight reel from CrimeCon uh, this past weekend. But we're going to do a Suzanne Morphy show tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern time, followed by um, a whole new show on the um, impending Charlie Adelson trial who's accused in the murder of FSU law professor Dan Markell. That's already slated for 7 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. The COE is on my case because uh, we are working around the clock to deliver the best content possible. If you can support us on either Patreon or YouTube, that'd be fantastic. If you can't do that, five stars on Apple on the podcast help uh, helps us a lot. It goes a long way, so we'd appreciate that. Um, of course, uh, we are going to pivot now to Lisk, the uh, accused Long Island serial killer, Rex Hewerman. Uh, as you know, we always like to start with the victims on this show. And you're looking at a photo right now of the Gilgo for uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, of which of who uh, Rex Hewerman is a prime suspect in that murder. And uh, we found out some information today about how they're closing in a little bit more um, with a suspect uh, being Rex Hewerman. In that case, we'll dive into that. Uh, Amber Costello, you see her on the screen, Megan Waterman, and of course, Melissa Bartholomew. This is what uh, this case is really all about, um, are these four. So I wanted to bring up those photos. Quick background for those of you who are new to the case. 11 bodies have been found since 1998 uh, on or near Gilgo Beach, which is not far from where Lisa Ribikoff grew up. Uh, the Gilgo Four, as you just saw, they were four petite uh, sex workers, and some people get offended by the uh, terminology there, but uh, that is used in victimology, uh, so we are using it here on the show. Uh, they were all in their 20s, uh, found on a beach, wrapped in burlap, which is significant, which again, we'll talk about in a few moments, and Rex has been charged in three of the four murders, but it looks like they're getting closer with Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Uh, Lisa, um, Rex was in court today. Uh, we're going to break it down step by step. The entire hearing lasted about five minutes and he had a uh, brand new haircut. What was your uh, overall impression as I show you the new locks on the left side here? I love how you're calling them locks. Um, that's definitely <laughs> the epitome of a prison haircut. Um, I don't know who did it, but um, yeah, I just I'm going to just be a little polite. I'm not sure what's going on up here. Um, I get the fact that his attorney probably requested it to go to, to go ahead and attempt to clean up his image for court because we don't really know. We haven't seen him in a while. Um, so the fact this is just going ahead and him making a full appearance. Um, but with regards to the hearing in general, like you said, it only lasted a few minutes and it kind of seemed like it was more of an alive and well check that the judge wanted to do with him to kind of check either his, I guess, maybe overall mental stability as well as whether or not he's been uh, receiving adequate time to review the discovery. Um, from what I've heard from, I guess, my sources that were in the courtroom, that it kind of seared that the, seemed that the judge was very empathetic towards him and was very friendly. Um, and that just kind of, I don't know how well that sits with me, because from what I understand that there were also victims, family members in the courtroom as well. So I think that there does need to be some sort of increased sensitivity as to the approach that it is given to him. Um, again, he is a defendant. He is an alleged or an accused um, killer. There is no confirmation yet. Not, there's no ruling. He has not been found guilty. Um, but I definitely think that there needs to be more cognizant awareness of how he is treated in front of the family's victims. Uh, Lorna McKenzie, friend of the show, more of a hair scalpel. Uh, by the way, here, I, it looks like the Kim Jong-un haircut, which I had myself not long ago. Uh, 
misdemeanor OG went by Rex's house the other day. Still a mess with boxes piled up in the front open porch. A little later in the show, uh, the great investigative reporter who I uh, was on a panel with, fortunate enough to be on a panel with Laura Engel uh, at CrimeCon along with Kerry Rawson. Um, she was the star of the show. Uh, we, uh, She sent me, she is out on Long Island and sent me a little video uh, from in front of Rex's house, which I'm going to play for you in a little bit. But Misdemeanor OG was there. Deb Sharika, this is not just a tagline. It is our reality. Great guest. Um, Mike, to you, again, the, the hearing lasted five minutes. Rex Huerman actually spoke. He was asked by the judge if he's been able to review case evidence. Well, it turns out he doesn't have a whole lot else to do during the day. Uh, he's in that cell, and he says he's been reviewing the case evidence, two to three hours of reviewing uh, per day. He stood throughout the hearing. Um, what do you make of that? Do you agree with Lisa that, you know, the judge in essence was just checking to make sure everything is copacetic, that he's doing the work that he's supposed to be doing as a defendant in this case? Uh, yeah, I think we, I think we need to kind of look past the emotion that we want to feel and think about the fact that this is all about securing a case through the criminal justice system that hopefully will have fewer things to be argued in the appellate level after this thing is over, if in fact he's convicted. And so it's it's really quite a good move on the judge's part to kind of say, hey, you doing okay? You happy? You getting everything you need? Are you getting all the time you want to, to play a part in your own defense? Because then when later he comes back and says, gosh, I wasn't treated well and things didn't work out right, they got it documented. Uh, Joe Jackalone, your advantage is that you can never get a bad prison haircut. Uh, what do you think of Rex's haircut here, Joe? <laughs> I usually reserve my comments about hairstyles and stuff, but uh, I guess he, he, his lawyer and myself have the same hairdo. But, um, yeah, I mean, Rex, he looks healthy. He doesn't look like he's been abused. And like Mike had said, this is actually this goes against them in the long run, including behavior that the police document and, you know, make sure that he he got his adequate breaks and his you know water and his bathroom breaks and that kind of thing. So, listen, it, it, the whole, when the day's over, um, his his lawyer's job gets tougher and tougher each appearance that he makes. That's the that's the bottom line. And that is Michael Brown. We're going to hear uh, at least read a quote from him in just a bit. I am not T-Pain, one of our fine moderators. Why does his hairline go back? So easy to go off in this guy's hair. Why does his hairline go uh, back so far except that little curl? Someone else asking if it is a bad toupee. And poor Rex cannot even defend himself because he is in jail right now. Um, so the lawyers just really, as Lisa said, they updated uh, the judge on the evidence um, and the defense is making sure that they're getting everything from the government. Uh, the DA, Ray Tierney, I'm going to pull up a quote from him and then we'll sort of dissect this. Uh, this is what he had to say uh, today, and it goes as following. You don't take a 13-year investigation and turn it over in a day or two. It's just a voluminous amount of stuff, and we're providing it on a rolling basis. We were very confident this was going to be the case. Uh, the way the case unfolding is consistent with our expectations. Uh, Lisa, I know you're not an attorney, but uh, you see plenty of them and you hear about them plenty. Uh, what do you make of this statement? I don't think he's wrong at all, um, because with the copious amount of stuff that they ascertained, and it's not only from what was taken from the residents, we have to remember that there were also storage units. 
We have to remember that the search warrant was also issued in South Carolina on the vehicle. We don't know what's been ascertained because there's no follow-up information. Uh, we just keep hearing about the discovery from the house. But when you say discovery, it's just so broad. We don't know where that information is coming from. And the last thing, um, given the fact that, as Tierney mentions, it's a 13-year investigation, they need to literally go through this with a fine tooth and comb and just really line by line, word by word, letter by letter, just to make sure that they don't miss anything. Because it took so long to get to the point where they are now that last thing that we want them to do is go ahead and miss that one piece that really could solidify the entire investigation. Uh, good point. And Mike King, I mean, just looking at this quote about a 13 year investigation, you just don't turn it over in a day or two. How do you handle, you know, 13 years worth of evidence and discovery in terms of providing it to the defense? I mean, it's a very arduous task. And as Lisa just said, you don't want to skip the one thing that, you know, could break the case, uh, you know, or make it for you. But how do you go about this process? I know you're not an attorney either, but curious uh, to get your take. Yeah, well, I managed the uh, attorney general's office and it was a constant question about making sure that you're fulfilling the obligation of discovery, getting the defense everything that you think is going to either hurt or help your case. And that's a tough thing to do. But the hard thing, I think, is the fact that these cases get so voluminous that sometimes things get kind of pushed aside as maybe inconsequential. And we're, we're seeing that happening in the Delphi case with Richard Allen right now, where uh, the defense is arguing, hey, there were pieces of this information, th this voodoo discussion about uh, Odin and other kinds of things that didn't get turned over as part of discovery. And uh, it's just the reality of it. So so the attorneys, the, the prosecutors, tend to focus on the things that are going to come out in the trial that will help. But if there's something that's a real smoking gun that leans against the prosecution, they still have an obligation to share those kind of things. Uh, by the way, uh, we did uh, an entire show on that last night. Um, and Ray Tierney here, uh, Joe Jackalone to you, uh, this 13 year investigation, you are the, uh, the whole, you know, the cold case guru here. So same question basically to you, mm -hmm. I mean, that's 13 years worth of evidence. How do you, you know, pass the baton to the defense, making sure that all your I's are dotted uh, and your T's are crossed? Yeah, it's extremely difficult. I've had cases, you know, 20, 30 years old and have to get it to the district attorney and then get it to the defense attorney. But I was working under different rules back then. What a lot of people don't understand is that the bail reform law that was passed a couple of years ago included a real uh, thing for discovery shortening the time frame too so in you know normally you would have 30 days they would knock it down about two weeks so they if i believe correctly uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong that ray tierney said in one of his last uh, press conferences that he and the defense attorney had made an agreement that this is going to take longer than the normal term because of this new discovery law so he's fighting uh, against that too and and listen at this point like Mike said, we don't we're not looking for a Brady violation kind of thing to pop up down the road. Just be able to get this information that they're, they're handing over terabytes worth of documents. And the defense attorney is going to need time to go through this, too. I, I hope people don't think that this thing is going to go to trial like next month. This is going to take a long time because from what I understand, I don't even think we've gotten to the storage facilities and the house search warrants and stuff like that because. 
One of the things I was looking for was when you have a search warrant in New York State, there's a form attached to it called a search warrant return. And that has to get sent back to the courts to let them know exactly what you take. And I'm sure if that was already done, we would have either at least heard about it, that it was there, or, you know, be ready for foiling kind of thing unless they're going to seal it. But that's the kind of thing that I'm waiting for. That, that those, those documents are going to play a big role into what they discovered in his house and the storage facility and everything else that goes along with it. Joe, I just want to add, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not. Um, when I've tried to do the math on a single page of paper, a terabyte is like a billion pages of paper. Uh, we're not talking, you know, a 12 page report like the old days. Uh, mm -hmm. And some of it's digital, some of it's, yeah, I mean, it's all digital, but some of it is just a page they're looking at while other might be digital files and and uh, audio files and other kinds of things. So this is, this is a massive prospect. And the idea that, like Joe brought out, that, that it's being done and the, the requirement is being narrowed to say, give it to us in two weeks. That's just, that's just ludicrous. Yeah. And it's been a reason why a lot of cases have been thrown out all across New York State, actually. Uh, prosecutors have been, pro been, been raising the red flag on this discovery law for a long time since it's actually come out. And they're actually losing felony cases and letting people walk because they can't meet the demands of getting this information out there. Uh, Brandy Churchwell, I was going to say, mm -hmm. I met her at CrimeCon and as sweet as she seems, she is in real life, followed by Ashley. Joel sounds a little raspy. This is my uh, James Earl Jones voice, uh, Barry White. I like that even better, probably from so much fun. I think like 17 people lost their voice at CrimeCon. I just cannot um, stay awake since I've been back from CrimeCon. I'm like a bear in hibernation. So if I fall asleep, you know what it is. But I will, uh, since it is my show, I will do my best to stay awake. And by the way, if you did miss our show on the Delphi murders last night, uh, it was an awesome show. Susan Hendricks wrote the book down the hill, literally wrote the book. We had Rick Allen Ross on, who is a cult expert, the preeminent cult expert in the world, uh, and Bob Mata from Defense Diaries. If you missed it, please check it out. It was a really amazing discussion and still relevant a day later, at least for now. Um, moving on here. So, uh, Lisa Ribikoff, to you, uh, big news coming out of the uh, hearing. The big headline, I, I would say, is uh, that the DNA found on the pizza matches the buckle swab. Prosecutors revealed in court that a, cheap, a cheek swab taken from Rex Huerman matches DNA found on pizza crust disposed of by Rex Huerman outside his office in Midtown Manhattan. When you heard that, what were your thoughts? So um, for clarification purposes, I think using the word match is more for conveying the information to, I guess, civilians that are not familiar with the DNA process. Um, I think that it would be more appropriate, and Joe, you would probably know this as well, using the terminology of consistent with um, because there is the comparable um, two samples and um, it's indicated by a value. And obviously when you're going ahead and you're running a DNA sample, you're looking for specific indicators and markers that are comparable to something else. So with, with regards to language, it's probably um, should be more likely used as opposed to match with consistent with. Um, so it appears that the DNA sample from the buccal swab is consistent with the uh, sample that was taken from the pizza crust that was acquired outside his office. And then from there, that buccal swab was consistent with the hair located um, on the victim's body uh, via the burlap sack. 
So uh, it's it's kind of more so there if you were to take all three of them and put them all by side by side, it's one is consistent with the other to which that one is then consistent the other. Um, but there is nothing has been openly stated that the hair that is located um, in the burlap that was located on the victim is uh, is consistent with the buccal swab. So we need to remember that if we didn't have the pizza crust, it would not be tying all three samples together. Uh, shout out, special shout out to Catherine Regier who comes to us from Maui. We did a couple of Maui fundraisers, always thinking about Catherine. Uh, great to see Mike on STS. I love when the best guests um, you know, we all intersect and, uh, people who are watching my show, watch Mike's show and Joe Jackalone, et cetera, et cetera. I love when that happens. So, uh, Joe, to you, uh, speaking of that, uh, catch list, uh, in the chat here, uh, follow, uh, catch list Twitter very closely, uh, and catch list writes feeds his narcissist narcissism instead of using his own search engine, which will incriminate him. What do you make of this comment, um, about feeding Rex's narcissism? Yeah, well, we find that with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of these killers. I mean, is it also alleged that he asked when he was arrested, you know, does is the media know yet? You know, I've, you know, so we've, we've seen this happen before. And just piggybacking on what Lisa was talking about, you know, this is actually a really important discovery part of this case, right? So they had the hair follicle where they only had mitochondrial DNA. They didn't have the bulb, you know, just for those watching that might not know, right? So a hair follicle. Unless you have the complete thing, the shaft and the bulb, then you have both from mom and dad. But when you have just the shaft, you have mitochondrial, which is derived from mom, right? M&M, that's how I teach my, my students. And now this is unequivocal in the respect that they have the entire match between the mitochondrial DNA, the match from his buckle swab, and from the pizza, which creates that trifecta, so to speak, and also now determines any any other boogeyman that th that is a defense attorney was talking about you know oh it could have been the pizza guy who was touching the dough it could have been somebody sneezed on it which is actually kind of awful when you think about it right your food's getting sneezed on by somebody else but you know this they're actually laying out i remember ray tierney himself is doing this case so it, when you actually watch this right so if we had a prosecutor on here I, I think they would agree with us in the respect that this is actually kind of beautiful how he's laying all this out because all the arguments that they're going to have are, are kind of like being done right now in all these pre-trial stuff, and it's actually pretty nice to watch. Uh, Joe Jacklone, by the way, uh, I gave voice to the voiceless as a journalist. I was an investigative reporter for Fox 5 in your hometown, New York City, at the uh, Fox flagship station there. And one of the stories I did, what you just said about sneezing on food, reminded me. Um, we went <laughs> undercover. We went yeah. undercover to all the food vendors and um, true story, I got a hot dog vendor blowing his <laughs> nose um, into his napkin and then putting it onto the hot dog bun. And nice. when I showed That's the beautiful disgusting. family from Iowa that video of their son taking a bite from said hot dog bun, he started to gag and almost puked on camera. But we did that. Jalapenos. It was jalapenos. <laughs> Welcome to New York where uh, – snot and hot dogs go together so just be careful next time you're there and you're ordering a hot dog because it's uh it's extra salty for a reason um it's me kim says holy crap how tall is he about rex yeah. herman answered answered by ned smith he's eight foot ten now i always say he's six foot six in every direction but he is a tall big dude um mike king uh, that pizza crust DNA, prosecutor says, consistent with the DNA profile from a hair follicle 
found on the burlap material used to bind Gilgo Beach victim Megan Waterman. Um, Lisa cautioned us about, you know, us lay people talking about DNA, and I'm definitely one of them. You guys are much more savvy. But how important is this revelation in court today about this buckle swab matching that pizza, the so-called pizza crust DNA? Well, I'm probably in the same boat as you, Joel, as far as the actual science behind this. But when an expert can testify that A plus B is without question connected to C, that's really valuable in court. And that's what I think we're seeing happen here is they're saying we have that connector in place now. By doing the swab, we were able to validate that it is connected and that's the end of the story. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't argue that in court, that they'll bring an expert in that says, you know, that uh, the, the air conditioning was on in the building when you did this and something might have flown into the air, just like that uh, hot dog you were talking about. But it's really pretty hard to get past the science. Mm. By the way, Jody Johnson, go ahead, Joe, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I wanted to throw something in there, piggyback what Mike says. New York State's a fry state, right? That's fry with an E, uh, which makes it more difficult for the the, the battle. And Lisa should know this, too, based on the polygraph stuff, you know. So it's an important aspect where we're not going to have too many, uh, you know, people fighting over this kind of thing. It's going to be pretty much one-on-one kind of basis. And it's uh, it's actually – I'm hoping that they actually have cameras in this in the courtroom. I, oh, yeah. New York doesn't do it, but I don't. I you know maybe they'll make an exception. But this is going to be a historic case. By the way, special shout out to Space Coast who is doing all the work behind the scenes. Believe it or not, he has rebuilt a computer from scratch, which always amazes me. And uh, we will have no more trouble with our new software. So we're going to get uh, cracking with that in the next day or two, so you can see the beautiful wide shot of this studio that we poured so much love into Jody Johnston saying, how do I give five stars on Apple? If you have an iPhone, you can go to Apple podcasts and just go to the show surviving the survivor. You search it. If you can give us five stars and write a kind review that helps us tremendously. If you have an Android, I have no idea, to be honest. I should know the answer to that, but I, but I have no clue. Um, and lest you think, lest you think we are not a global show, Frida is watching us in Sweden. We've got people from all over the world. So I love to uh, see that. Um, Joe, we kind of talked about this in this other quote, but uh, comes up again. Um, DA Ray Tierney was asked about this and he said, uh, we are confident uh, this was going to be the case. It is unfolding consistent with our expectations and we expect to bring more charges. Um, Is that a, uh, DA being bold. If you're the DA, you need to back up what you're saying, don't you? Um, or is he just making a uh, a proud statement there? No, and you also have to be able to dissect that, right? He uses the plural charges, right? He doesn't say a charge because everyone ex- anticipates, including myself, Maureen Brainerd Barnes getting added to that as the Gilgo Four, right? So I think because all of us could agree that the all four victims were from the same person, all wrapped in burlap, found within a close proximity to one another. So I think we can all agree on that. But here's the thing, right? So he says charges, which kind of piqued my interest, thinking that is more than one more person, right? Uh, we also have the identity, I think, of Peaches that will be coming out soon and probably the Asian male. But here's the other thing. Uh, last week, Rodney Harrison, the, the police commissioner, added two more detectives to the case. Now, 
Well, that's what they they announced, which means it was already like Michael tell you, that's already two or three or four weeks old by the time you hear about it. So they were working on other cases and trying to attribute other things going on. Because remember, we didn't even know any of this DNA existed. And I think we all we're going to find out or be surprised in the next couple of months about exactly what they do have in some of these other cases that might not even be related to the 10 bodies that they found. Remember, there are so many other potential cases that could fall within this purview. So it's it's going to be interesting. And I and I don't I didn't take it as arrogance. I didn't take it as cockiness. I, I took it as confidence. And uh, I agree with you because uh, we've heard about Las Vegas where Rex Nurman had a timeshare and some bodies uh, went missing there. We've heard about South Carolina. We've even heard about New Jersey down by Atlantic City. Uh, Atlantic City authorities always felt like they were very quick to say there's no connection. Uh, they could always backtrack on that, I suppose. But um, by the way, not only is Mabel watching from across the pond, it's also, don't take this the wrong way, Mabel, uh, my best friend in the world, Mabel Rose, who passed away at 17. My beloved Puggle was named Mabel, so it's a special name for me. Um, Mike Kang, um, same thing here. You know, um, Ray Tierney basically saying, we're bringing more charges. Uh, what do you expect to see in the coming weeks? Uh, again, I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm trying, I was trying to think in my mind when Tierney came into office, but he's probably about halfway through if I am thinking accurately, which means he's got an election coming up before this thing goes to trial. Some of it could be posturing to remind the community that he's a hundred percent in for them and that he's hard nosed on crime. It might be that he's tipping his hand. It could even be in some ways strategic to see if he can shake up some of the the things that that uh, they hope might reveal some more evidence along the way. Um, you, you just never know on these things, and it and I don't know Tierney's personality well enough, other than what I've just seen publicly. Mm. And I love everyone calls Mike Commander Kang is so awesome. He solved his great great grandmother's murder over a hundred years ago. That is God given talent and a blessing <laughs> to us. So uh, great to have Mike King, uh, Dem Rogers. Please hit that like. I'm button. not a hundred years old though. I want to clarify. It was a <laughs> it was a cold case, Joe. You you know there are a lot of cold cases out there, but I know I look like I might have been out there with with not, no, Wyatt Earp, but Mike, no no chance at all. Uh, Lisa, to you. Um, you're on the ground there. Um, you're kind of the hometown woman. I was going to say girl, but you can't say that anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get uh, charged with anything myself. No, so, it's okay. Um, I'll, I'll save you. Okay. And so what about Ray Tierney? Um, is he like, do you think he's doing a good job so far before we pivot to the uh, defense side of things? I think that given the circumstances of what he came into into the office with, considering all of the corruption and the negativity, um, and that he made it a point to go ahead and stand his ground, per se, of uh, taking the stance of wanting to work closely with the department to go ahead and make this a priority, that he's doing an incredible job. Um, obviously, we know with politics, there's always going to be people that don't like someone, whether it's federal, state, local, whatever it is. But I think that he has taken the standpoint and become the speaker of the county in terms of just the unification process, because I can't... I can't imagine going into Suffolk County and ask anyone, hey, by the way, do you think he did a great job with Gilgo? I really can't find anyone or even think of someone being like, oh, yeah, he's done a horrible job between either the PR optics or doing his job or working collaboratively with the law enforcement and or 
uh, the other possible ADAs or whatever units are going on working on the case. So to go ahead and change even the optics of Suffolk County from what people that don't live here on Long Island have heard about the county, have heard about the investigation, or heard about the state, uh, because New York is just never, for some reason, we don't really have a good history with governors or, um, uh, what's the best way to put it? I don't want to refer to them as serial killers, but I guess multiple offenders um, in the, in terms of that, because we've got some pretty bad history here. But, uh, the, yeah. Yeah, go I ahead, mean, Joe. I, I, oh, Lisa, finish up. Good. I'm sorry. I, know, I, was, I was just going to say, I mean, the best way that I can put it for those that are w- well aware, and Joe, you could definitely attest to this, Mike, I'm not sure. But um, I consider tyranny to be almost like a Giuliani, how Giuliani came in and cleaned up the streets and, and changed things up in the city, is that he's kind of doing the same thing for Suffolk. Joe? Yeah, I think we're actually facing a bigger crisis or potential crisis in regards to the police commissioner, right? So Steve Ballone, his time is up come this December, and there's going to be a new executive come in January. And generally what happens is they sometimes want to change the police commissioner. And I think this it actually could be political suicide as far as I'm concerned, because yeah. when they when they chose Rodney Harrison, I was I was definitely and I was actually pretty vocal about it. And, and, and uh, on the record saying that, you know, Suffolk County made a great move and he came out the first day and said, I'm going to solve this case. And he does. Now he's now we're having a political movement at that point. It's going to be interesting to see how that gets handled, because that would be an absolute uh, setback for sure. And, and Joe, right here from Jeff Monge, interesting comment. The investigators know this is their guy. They would not have arrested him if it wasn't. They want a confession to all 11 victims. Rex is going to plead out to spare his life. What say you, Joe Jackalone? Only if this case goes federal. Right now, he's got no reason to, to talk about anything. And the only way – actually, I think if you gave it – I guess – I guarantee if you gave us the case, I could probably find that federal nexus now. But I think that the feds are leaving it with Suffolk unless something pops up in Vegas, something pops up in South Carolina, uh, New Jersey. I doubt it. But if if anything pops up, because remember, Las Vegas had to basically sue New York State to get the DNA samples in order to test them. So, I mean, that's how crazy New York is with this stuff. But if one of those cases come back to Rex, um, game over, the feds are going to step in and then they're going to say, you talk or, you, you know, because that's the only way that you can get the death penalty in New York is if the feds step in. Mm. By the way, you just saw Lisa Ribikoff. She has a uh, New York Islanders uh, mug or whatever that is right there. I don't, I, My coffee was, tumbler, because apparently oh, it's never too late to drink coffee. No, it is not. The long uh, <laughs> New York Islanders. And we have, uh, as a member of STS Nation, uh, Laura, is it Laura Lee? Laura Lee Potvan, who is Dennis Potvan's uh, cousin famous New York Islanders. So it is a small yep. world. Um, Mike, five. Yeah. Um, Mike, to you, uh, what about this comment and what um, Joe was just saying about a federal nexus? Do you think they're going to link it up to a, to a federal crime and then he's going to have to speak to spare, spare his you, life? You know, Joe, the interesting thing to me about predatory behavior is that it doesn't just slow down and wait for your wife to go on vacation and leave town, which seems to be something that we keep talking about is every time he did this, his wife was out of town. Well, or maybe it's every time he brought a victim to the home, his wife was out of town or every time a certain event happened. But my experience, and I'll tell you what, I've interviewed a bucket load of serial predators and serial killers over my career. Um, They don't just turn it off. And we have to be cautious that just because 11 more victims are sitting in the same general area, 
they may not be tied to him. And there are several of those cases that personally I don't believe are tied to him. And so just the fact that there is a bucket load of bodies sitting in the same location, you got to take into account the kind of location it is, the fact that it's remote in next to a really congested area, the fact that there are tidal waters that could influence things happening out to sea or other things. And so we, but our minds are, are, we really have a difficult time because we, we want answers and we want to solve things. And sometimes it just takes a whole lot longer. A good point. Ned Smith makes another good point. Mike looks like a nice man. Some people just look like <laughs> take, nice people. Take my tie off. And, I'm uh, do that right now. I Thanks, gotta say, yeah, he does look at, like a nice guy. And I am not T-Pain. How about this? Okay, but for real, Lisa, how are you so cool? You look freaking <laughs> rad tonight. Uh, Felicia says, I can call her a girl. And uh, then you get a heart emoji. Where's the love for Joe Jacqueline? That's coming. I know it is. Um, yeah. Mabel UK. <laughs> oh, look at this. Mabel clarifying that uh, it's actually her little dog's name, not her name. So I love it. Um, Abby Tahahaha. Commander King is awesome. And she says, we don't care about Kansas. We care about Kansas. I've been covering BTK uh, nonstop. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, so what are, you, what are you talking about there, uh, Abby? Um, by the way, uh, so I don't forget, I wrote a note down. The COE worked incredibly hard. She put together an eight-minute behind-the-scenes of CrimeCon 2023. It's on our YouTube page. Please check it out. Uh, give it a like. Uh, the COE worked hard on that. You see some shots of... Uh, Carmen there signing some autographs and stuff. It was hilarious. It was a good time. Uh, so please check that out. Um, so let's, we, we talked about uh, the DA, Ray Tierney. Well, the defense came out, uh, Joe Jacqueline, they say not so fast. Um, speaking of the hair, uh, Michael Brown, the defense attorney basically says that none of this means that the hair found uh, on victim Waterman belongs to Rex Hewerman. Uh, he says, and I quote here, it's still a significant amount of people that could be the source of this hair. Uh, the vice is tightening, Joe. He's doing his job as a defense attorney, is he not? Yeah, the defense attorneys do what defense attorneys do, right? I mean, I don't know why people get angry when when defense attorneys say something outrageous or do something. He said he actually used the word. This is all circumstantial, right? So I would actually just you know have anybody refer to any textbook and say that DNA is actually direct evidence. But that's a whole other story. But you know, he's just you know he's doing his shuffling act. He's just you know trying to remember. We, there's a jury that's going to eventually be chosen someday. Right. So they're just trying to get this information out there into the public. Somebody can hear it, stick with it. Maybe he gets lucky and finds that person on his jury someday. And that's basically what we're dealing with. You know, don't get mad at the defense attorneys, even though we like to make fun of them. You know, <laughs> they're just easy pickings. But, you know, like, God forbid you're in position, right? This is what you would want your attorney to do for you. Yeah. And they get paid a lot of money for that. So there you go. Um, Lisa, to you, um, Michael Brown says that 99% of the evidence uh, that he's received from uh, prosecutors so far are videos, some of which include videos from cameras posted by police outside Rex Herman's home in Massapequa Park. What about the fact that he says 99% of the evidence is video evidence? Uh, do you read anything into that? Does that mean this, you know, the DA is just not giving them what they need to get or what? Well, when it the fact that they've even received discovery, considering the amount that's there, 
I think that things are going to be organized and distributed um, in process. So maybe the maybe the idea is to go ahead and process the discovery pertaining to video first. That way we don't know the shelf life. We don't know if it's transferred, if it's a full file, if it's only being saved for a period of time. We don't know the condition of the video. Um, we also don't know specifically of what the video is. Is it from the surveillance? Is it from... Uh, video that was ascertained for the search warrant. We we don't know what exactly is there, but I think 99% is not necessarily the most realistic number. Um, there could be videos, there could be video stills. It could be a four hour long video over surveillance. We don't know how long the surveillance was actually taking place in the city. We don't know for how long the longevity of when the investigation did start. So um, it could technically just be of the surveillance efforts it could be from investigations interviews we don't know but um i don't think that 99 percent is a realistic number and by the way we started with this from emma suzanne morphew's remains were found today three years after she went missing we're doing a show on that tomorrow 5 p.m eastern 7 p.m on the charlie adelson trial upcoming uh, mike to you so speaking about video um the defense attorney also said that you know some of this video are basically poll cameras, which police put up in neighborhoods and they reviewed that. Um, and the quote goes, what the poll cameras show is a guy who gets up in the morning hanging out on his porch. Um, again, we don't want to pick on defense attorneys, but uh, you know, he's doing a whole lot more than that, even if he's not a serial killer, but he's trying to make it seem like, you know, he's just this trite, simple man, right? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think that's great. Just create a bunch of noise and hope that it somehow sticks. But it makes me think when I listen to stuff like this about a serial killer that I interviewed, uh, I did a study for the Bureau of Justice where I looked at serial predators whose preferential victim was elderly women. And they had to have killed at least four women in order to fit the criteria of this study we were doing for Bureau of Justice. And I traveled all through the Finger Lakes and all the, here in, in New York and other prisons across the country interviewing guys. And I remember talking to one guy, his name was Daniel Troyer, and you might look him up, I don't know. But, but uh, Danny said, you know, you got to keep in mind that a predator is like a lion. And I, I'm staring at him and he says, think about it. You can watch these uh, female lions laying in the sun out in the African sun and they're licking their paw and they're rolling on their back and they're relaxing and they just sit there for hours and hours and hours just soaking up the sun. But then all of a sudden the urge hits them and their skin starts to tighten and their muscles start to tighten and their ears come up and their senses get inflamed and then they go out hunting and until they kill the prey, they can't rest again. But then as soon as they're done, they're back in the sun relaxing. Mm. Interesting. Um, Interesting imagery. I like that. Um, yeah. so, so here, uh, Joe, to you is a uh, statement from Michael Brown to continue on the defense side here. Uh, speaking of Rex Hurman, he's a fellow who is working, has never been arrested, has a wife and children, is a productive member of society. And obviously the district attorney and the government is making these allegations and they're horrific. He's not guilty of this. Now he has to sit in custody, be away from his family, be away from his wife and kids, not work, not produce for his family and support them and sit in a jail cell until this case comes to fruition. Um, are we supposed to feel bad for Rex Huerman reading this, Joe. 
Well, that's what the defense attorney wants you to feel, right? I mean, this you know, he's been charged with three homicides, not just one. I know that, you know, in the age of criminal justice reform, he thinks that maybe he can get an ankle monitor and, and send them home, right? He's not a threat to anybody, according to his attorney, probably. But he also failed to, you know, let everybody know that his wife has already filed for divorce. She wants nothing to do with him at this point. You know, she forgot about that part. So maybe him missing his wife and kids has to do with just him, because apparently... His wife's not too worried about that aspect. All she's worried about, and her attorney is worried about getting those guns back. So there's a there's a unique uh, push and pull here. Uh, you know, hell hath no fury. We've all heard of that term before, but you know what? We can maybe add hell hath no fury like a woman's lawyer scorned because that that, that could be more of a, an important aspect of this than anything else. Uh, that just gave me anxiety when you said that. Um, that that's scary. <laughs> Um, to you, Lisa, this is interesting. Is he the kind of guy, as we were talking about the federal nexus and the death penalty could eventually get put on the table, is he the kind of guy, in your opinion, that is going to care about the death penalty? Uh, most of these serial killers, uh, in the end, they cower, don't they? I think he's going to care about the death penalty when it comes down to not being able to be around his kids. Because, again, that's the alter ego that he had, that he was a family man. He was loving. He was supportive. He was engaging. Um, and that's kind of how he wants to be memorialized for his kids. I think that there is the narcissism component um, and the sociopath component where if you do give him the death penalty, um, there is a possibility he will not care because he wants to maintain his reputation. He wants to maintain, um, again, like when he, there's speculation of when he got arrested of, is this in the news? I mean, if that was me, I mean, it would obviously never be me, but I wouldn't be more so cared of like whether or not I'm in the news. Um, so it just it goes to show the thinking and what his concern is and what his priority are, because, again, we don't know. Is he looking with that comment of is it in the news because he wants the notoriety or is it is it in the news because I don't want my kids or my family or whoever else it is to find out about this? Let's hope you're not in the news for that. Uh, Lisa Elizabeth yeah, Whitney <laughs> <laughs> says his hair looks like Davy Crockett's fur hat. And then here it is, Joe, what we've all been waiting for. Ned Smith. Oh, thanks, Ned. I, I, lo <laughs> I love Joe G. Um, Mike, to you, uh, the attorney went on and said he's doing the best he can. He was completely shocked. He did not know why he was taken into custody. He de uh, denies that his client is a quote unquote monster of a person. And then he goes on and speaks about the video um, in the police cruiser. And uh, the defense attorney says when Rex Huerman was arrested, there was a video in the actual police vehicle. My client, unless he is a tremendous actor, he was completely shocked, had no idea why he was being taken into custody. The government doesn't tell you these things, but these things will, we will bring out in the course of a trial. Uh, Mike, is it possible he was so shocked because he was caught after all these years? Certainly it's possible. Uh, and I guess that's the real thing, isn't it, Joel, is um, if you really believe that he is this serial killer and he's gotten away with it for decades, that means he's a chameleon who can fit in and adjust and, and portray a position that he's not. And, you know, we talk about this a lot when we're teaching uh, profiling to, to police officers about the fact that we all have three personas in our life. We have this public persona that all four of us are putting on right now for all these wonderful viewers who are watching where we, we are on our best behavior. We're doing everything that we can to be positive. And then we have this um, 
private side of our persona where maybe our spouse gets to see every once in a while some of our warts when we really make mistakes and say something that we shouldn't have said or we we act out a little bit. But it's the victim that generally sees the secret side of a serial predator, and rarely do they live to talk about it. And so for him to 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 uh, be putting on this act, all you got to do is watch uh, YouTube for a minute and watch interviews of every killer out there that sits in front of cops for several hours saying, no, I'd never do this to Aunt M. Yeah, by the way, the COE sees my warts more often than she would like. Uh, Felicia says, Joe Jacklone has better hair than Rex Sherman. There is no doubt about that. And um, as I was saying off the top, Laura Ingle, she is an intrepid investigative reporter. She and I worked together at Fox News Channel. Uh, we didn't know each other then, but we just met at CrimeCon. And here's a video she sent me that she said we could play. Uh, she was by the house today. Let's hope this works. Here we go. So I'm in Massapequa Park and I am driving down the street that Rex Huerman has lived on for decades. Rex Huerman, of course, is the suspect in the Long Island serial killer case. And I'm about to come up on his house, which I want to show you because his wife still lives there and their adult children. And one of the big issues right now with this family is that they're trying to get their belongings back. Um, they're trying to get things like the mattresses and the clothes and the jewelry and the cash and things that investigators took out of the home when they did a 12 day raid right here on this block. And right now she doesn't have a bed to sleep on and she is sleeping on the floor on a foam mattress. And you can see around me, these homes are really, really nice. Um, and then you get up to this home and it looks a little different. But a lot of the neighbors around here have heard the story that this family has wanted to get some of the guns that were taken out of this home. Here it is right here, it's in red. And 287 weapons were removed from that house during the raid after his arrest. And it's important to note, they don't want the guns back. They want the guns to be released to a licensed firearm dealer so that they can be sold. And eventually when her divorce is finalized, she can split the proceeds and have some money to live on because Rex Huerman was the primary breadwinner and they are running low on funds right now. So just wanted to show you around here in Massapequa Park as we get ready to move on to the next phase of this case, which is the next court appearance in Riverhead. I'll take you there tomorrow. And uh, that next court hearing for the guns is October 2nd. Um, Lisa, to you, um, by the way, I love how Laura said their house looks a little different. Like she's very sweet and kind. Uh, didn't want to say anything more demeaning than that, but it definitely stands out in the neighborhood. Uh, so again, there's going to be hearing about these guns on October 2nd, which believe it or not is next week. Time to pay the yep. bills, everyone. Um, so 287 guns were found. And of course um, her attorney came out and basically said, look, she needs these guns, the family does, because they're valued at somewhere between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars This is Bob Macedino, the uh, the uh, family's attorney, and, and they don't have any way to make a living right now. Uh, Lisa, does your heart go out at all to Asa Elrip and the children? Oh, 100 percent. Um, I any time there's a situation like this or any time that there's an individual that does commit a crime, there's not only the physical victim, but there's also the other victims of being a family member or a friend or a colleague or someone associated with that individual. 
Um, and at that point, they just become collateral damage. Um, and that's the worst part about it, having to go ahead and uproot your life or uproot your reputation, um, your being at all because of the actions of one individual. Um, in this situation, I do think that it is probably the most fiscally responsible situation. Um, however, the 297 or 287 um, firearms until a full inventory is made. I mean, I've seen partial of the list that has been uh, made out to the general public and taking a look there. And from what I know about firearms, there's a couple of um, very high high profitable firearms listed on that. Um, but there does need to be the remembrance and the conversation that Joe and I actually had offline. Um, with regards to pistols, if he has any, they are not transferable to uh, um, ASO because you need to have a permit. Whereas the long range guns, um, those can be transferred. But from what my understanding is, is that she does not want direct possession of the firearms. The transference needs to go from Suffolk County to Nassau which is going to be decided hopefully on Monday if there's not a continuance and or um, an adjournment pertaining to that. And then from there, it can be transferred over from Nassau County um, to a uh, federal firearms dealer that can go ahead and actually do the sale. Mm. Uh, by the way, a uh, shameless uh, interruption here. We already have booked our uh, room for the next crime con which is in nashville on uh, may 31st i believe through june 2nd and we are dubbing it carm con carm con uh, so if anyone in our audience is some sort of graphic artist and wants to submit um a drawing or a rendering for what a t-shirt should look like for carm con this far out we're going to give you guys um something fun in return for that i can only draw stick figures so uh carm con will be there for crime con uh if we've got any talented people let us know um joe jackalone so bob Massadino, he is the family attorney for asa ellerip and he basically argued uh in the court of public opinion that the guns have no more forensic value uh even though there's 287 of them and that they should be allowed to be given back to the family so they can sell them for this um, very substantial amount of money uh somewhere he said uh bob Massadino said the value is between 200 and 300 but what about that argument that they have no more forensic value do you buy that well, I mean, there's a lot of ballistics that have to be done in those cases. So, you know, and it's up to the district attorney to release them, right? So I don't think anybody's going to release specifically the pistols until everything's been tested against what they have in, um, you know, on file with the ATF, right? The Integrated Ballistic Identification System, IBIS. It's as simple as that, you know, and if you have 300 guns nearly, well, you know, sit back and relax. I understand that the family is suffering with this uh, aspect of it. I, you know, I my heart goes out to them, but unfortunately, when you're dealing with cases like this, you got to dot your I's and cross your T's, and unfortunately, nothing's going to come across the table until they're satisfied that the testing's been done and there's no criminality uh, in regards to those weapons. Hmm. Uh, here's an interesting question from a friend of the show, Andy School, which I haven't fully read yet, but Mike, I'm going to give this one to you. Uh, do any of the panel members have any thoughts about Rex and how he's being treated by guards? Do you think they may show fear or tamp it down because of his size? He's big. Uh, DOC guys are generally professionals. Mike, do you think that they're treating him any differently than uh, any other inmates? I, I, I don't think he's being treated any differently than others. Uh, I, I would certainly hope he's not. You hear the anomaly of somebody being mistreated. We're hearing it with with uh, Richard Allen, and uh, I have yet to see the proof to support 
those claims. So I'm going to just keep uh, hopeful that that uh, corrections officers are doing what corrections officers do so well. It's a, it's a field I could have never survived in, and I really salute them. Yeah, that makes two of us. I could never have done that. Uh, one of the biggest fears in my life is prison, a place I hope I never have to go to. Uh, <laughs> you you I, and every cop out there, I think. <laughs> I've had uh, I've had former inmates on the show a lot of times, and they're like, oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, no, nah, I really don't think I'd be fine at all. But they're like, Wait. oh, you'd be fine. Joel, you've never done an interview in a facility? I have. I have. But oh. I, I'm saying to live there is a different. Oh, you're um, saying to check in. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm saying to <laughs> spend my time there uh, would be a whole different experience that I do not want to uh, ever find out about. Um, by the way, Lisa. So um, Bob Massadino also said that he wants investigators to release cash clothing and jewelry that they're uh, still uh, all holding on to. Um, should they at this point or is uh, the investigation, you know, take the primary uh, role here? and They have to do their investigation first before giving back any of this, uh, these possessions. And I want world peace, but just because I want something doesn't mean I'm going to get it. Um, and in this case, the investigation needs to play out accordingly. Um, we don't know if and I hate even me even making this this connection here, but he could have gifted her a piece of jewelry. We don't know if that jewelry could have come as a trophy from a victim, um, which is really sick and sadistic. It's been done before, so that's why I'm just referencing it now. But they really need to itemize and inventory everything. And then once this case is done and adjudicated, then at that point, I feel that all of the assets, whether it's physical and or monetary, can then be distributed. And uh, Joe, you're a retired NYPD, by the way. I love hearing from Joe. Jack. The comments are flowing in for you, Joe, so don't worry. But um, really what's going on? That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's going on? Um, I mean, this is just a massive investigation, and you've been on the inside, uh, maybe not one quite this big, but you've been on the inside, and most of us have never been on the inside. So what what's going on? You, you mentioned two more detectives, but just on an average day, like tomorrow, what are these investigators doing working on this case? Well, part of the cold case 101 is to see if your cases are connected to anything else, right? The idea behind that is each case can hold a key to something else. And I think that's where the new two investigators come in because I think they're finding some similarities or patterns, however you want to call it, in other cases. And they're looking to see if there's any clues that can connect what they already know and what they already have to what they're dealing with at this moment. I've actually had big cases like this, not not 10 cases, but we had seven as the most in one case that we, we actually did, we did and get prosecuted. So it, it is a uh, long and it's a long-term investigation. Traveling is involved with this too, because remember he had cell phones that might be you know from Springfield, uh, Missouri and Las Vegas. So there's a lot of different uh, working parts in this and it's just not, you know, per, te, you know, per se on Long Island. Uh, Nassau and Suffolk are going to be a treasure trove for all those cases that they have to go through. But I think they're getting bombarded from outside agencies, you know, asking for information and things to try to attribute to any of the thing to him. Like I said, we've heard everything but the, you know, the Dallas police ask if he's the second gunman on the grassy knoll. I mean, that's basically what would that's basically what I think they're dealing with at this point. Wow, uh, that's a lot to deal with. Um, by the way, thank you, Ned Smith. Asking about my bee sting, I, I almost forgot all about it until you reminded me. I got stung by a bee for the very first time. Um, Mike King, um, there's kind of a uh, very cold 
heartless um, quote attributed to Rex Huerman. It's an interesting story um, that the New York Post published, um, although I think it comes from elsewhere, um, but they did publish it. And uh, the story basically goes that uh, Rex Huerman was so obsessed with showing off his hunting skills to a female colleague that he stalked her onto a cruise ship, um, according to this co-worker. This was actually on a recent episode. I knew where it was from, from 48 Hours. Uh, their season premiere, which I have not seen yet, was about Rex Huerman. And they interviewed this woman, Muriel Enriquez. Uh, she spoke to CBS's Aaron Mor- Moriarty. And uh, she said that Rex was always talking about going out shooting and hunting, that that was his passion, and said... She told Rex, I'm going to be in the middle of the ocean and you're not going to find me in the middle of the ocean. And he says, oh, yes, I can. And on the second day of the trip, according to this person on 48 hours, there was a white envelope under my door. It was a note from Rex Huerman. The note said, I told you I could find you anywhere. Um, This is coming from CBS News via the New York Post. I mean, a very well-respected media outlet. If this story is in fact true, and we have to put that caveat in there, uh, Mike, what does this tell you about his mindset that he's leaving notes for people? I mean, having someone on a cruise ship leave this note. Well, for most of these type of predators, it's about about power and dominion and control. And uh, having that control is really important. And the fact that she called him on it beforehand may have upped the ante a little bit. And you think about it, it probably wouldn't have been that difficult to get something over to the ship beforehand and say, it's a special day, deliver this on this particular day for me. And uh, they may have had, sometimes it's as easily explained as something like that. Or it could be as nefarious as the fact that this guy really did put forth a lot of effort, go out there. Again, is it true? Oh, man, I, I have no idea. But but power and control is where, where it's at for these kinds of predators. Uh, the Shaman of Jay checking in. Uh, Joe Jackalone always brings it. For those of you who do not know, check out The Shaming of Jay on YouTube. Uh, he's doing some interesting stuff, including court hopping, which I think is a great idea. Um, an interesting niche within true crime. So check him out. Uh, life, love, and true crime. Love these guests. Joe's fantastic. Lisa's a badass. And I'm a Salt Lake City girl. Mike will know where that is. Love y'all. Mike <laughs> definitely knows where that is. Um, Joe Jackalone, this was just a question I had. I mean, we heard about this when we saw that arrest video in Midtown Manhattan. Is it your belief um, do you think that Rex Huerman was getting ready to kill again? And maybe that's why they went in for the arrest when they did back in July. Yeah, I think something spoke them, right? I mean, they've been following him around. Um, we don't know if they were eavesdropping on his cell phone records or what have you, or his phone conversations. We don't know. Uh, we'll find that out. But uh, something triggered them to go off and get him, you know, that night. So I, I think we'll hear about that and the reason why they took him down, where they did and why they did. I mean, we know you know, out in the street is actually a, you know, a good way of getting them while he's heading to the train. I think and not in a house with 300 guns is not a good idea. So, you know, they had their plan already about where they were going to take them down. So I just think that, um, you know, the safest way possible and uh, the opportunity arose and, and they came up with it. 
And Jay's better half, Shannon, checking in as well, saying that Lisa looks gorge. Can't comment. I don't want to get any charges against me. Um, Mike Kang. So we talked about this a little bit um, and then go a little bit, a few more minutes, and then we'll let Mike get to bed. He's been running around like a maniac. Joe, I don't know what he's going to do at night. Hopefully nothing untoured. And Lisa's uh, going to probably want to. No, I've got a Full night worth of work to, to go ahead and do. Oh, wow. I'm glad I'm not I've got poly- uh, Yeah, I've got polygraphs tomorrow, so I've got to prep some cases. Oh, wow. Uh, again, I'm glad I'm not you. Um, Mike King, <laughs> Vegas and South Carolina investigations. Um, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is looking into a direct comparison of uh, Rex Herman's DNA and genetic material uh, found on the body of a 17-year-old victim, Victoria Kamara, found dead in 2003. Um, you've worked these kind of cases. I mean, what are these other jurisdictions doing and how are they coordinating right now with uh, Suffolk County, Long Island to see if there are any connections? So, so, you know, you think this is such a massive problem in the U S about 875,000 people go missing every single year. And according to the Bureau of Justice, about 87% make it home. That means there are 104 plus thousand bodies every single year that disappear off the face of the planet. Um, I suspect every cold case investigator out there that has a victim that fits this preferential victim that, that the, the predator in the three cases that we know about. And again, I'm not saying it's human. They, they certainly feel like it is but uh, that there are similarities there and there were similarities built around their lifestyle, their physical uh, makeup. Um, There are reasons why certain kinds of predators pick certain kinds of victims as to be successful. So any smart cop out there is going to be running the, the uh, profiles against uh, any DNA that they may have recovered in their cases. They're going to be looking to see if it's similar. They're going to be calling Adding two more cops to that uh, task force probably is just the beginning as this thing starts uh, to unfold. Uh, I actually did a special for A&E called The Killing Season, which looked at the Long Island serial killers. And we were trying to see if they were comparable and tied to uh, 13 women who were murdered in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that were also very similar to the kinds of victims that Herman's accused of, of killing. Um, so just think about this 104,000 times 13 years alone. There is a batch of missing people that, and cold cases that cops are trying to solve. And that, that's not the, you know, the 24,000 or whatever uh, dead bodies that turn up every year in our country. Yeah, that's a, those are scary statistics that uh, so many people, you know, go missing and so many cases are never solved. Um, One last image, and then we'll start to wrap up. This is now the infamous belt buckle. Um, Joe, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25, who they're probably going to zero in on with a Rex, or at least they're intimating that right now. Uh, She was found restrained by three leather belts, one of which had the initials WH or HM on it. Uh, She was last seen, by the way, July 9th, 2007, uh, in her hotel room at a Super 8 in Midtown Manhattan. She was from Norwich, Connecticut. Um, and the details about that go on. But um, prosecutors say the initials could match a relative of Rex Hewerman. Um, his grandfather, who died in 1964, had the initials 
WH for William Hewerman. And you were actually quoted on here, Joe, in this particular article, the belt with this grandfather's initials on it. He can't explain that. I wouldn't want to have that job as his defense attorney. You still stand by that, Joe, that this uh, belt issue yeah. is a big deal? Yeah, it, it has become a big deal. When it was first held up by uh, then Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart, and she kind of had, you know, the, I would say she had the look on her face like I had an algebra class, you know, pretty much <laughs> lost, uh, you know, in the whole the whole system there. But there was actually one of the victims was found with a belt with that tip cut off. So that's another interesting aspect where there could have been another one with initials on it. So, yeah, he's he's going to have some difficult times. This case is building up, uh, you know, and it's the evidence is becoming pretty damning so far. But we shall wait and see. He's got his date in court eventually. Uh, please hit that like button. Please uh, support us on Patreon um, and or become a YouTube member. So grateful uh, to meet Mike King and have him on the show. Um he is uh, the creator and host of Profiling Evil on YouTube. He's also uh, has a podcast, Mapping Evil, with Mike King in Southeast Asia. He appears regularly on Court TV, the Dr. Phil Show, News Nation, and uh, you can tell why. Uh, he's a stand-up guy and a very smart, uh, investigative mind. Uh, Mike King, uh, what's your guess? Um, at the end of the day, uh, you have a number of how many bodies they eventually connect Rex Hurman to, and do you think he pleads uh, eventually? Mm. Uh, you know, I would suspect that he's gonna he's gonna try to go to trial and maintain from his position the fact that he's a good guy, the, the with no death penalty unless, like Joe said, that we can somehow get it into the federal system. He doesn't have a whole lot to lose at this point because he's probably gonna go to prison for life. So there's not a lot of negotiation right there. The only thing he has to negotiate is is uh, the fact that he's not the guy and, and who, who knows. How many can they tie him to? Um, well, they've got him for three right now that they're saying they've tied him to. They've been promising that we'd see number four. I think that uh, the panel is right tonight that we're going to see more victims identified and we're going to see more information come out. I don't know that they'll necessarily be tied to that. And since it might be my last point, I want to just say uh, it was a blast to be at crime con with you and to see your mom work in the crowd. So, uh, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. And I hope you'll come back many more times. I <laughs> promise not to bug you. Although I already asked him to do Suzanne more for you. Cause that's, that's in his wheelhouse, <sighs> but unfortunately Mike is flying. I want to fly home. Yeah. Um, Lucy Bell says profiling evil is a magnificent stream. Uh, I'm not sure. Is that, was that, what's that supposed to say? And excellence all the way. I'm not sure what that where it is but um thank you mike good job with your podcast lisa ribikoff hung out with her at crime con she's a licensed private investigator and advanced trained polygraph examiner based out of new york florida and connecticut she is spends a lot of her time right out on long island where all this went down and uh, she was also on the national cold case task force uh lisa um what do you expect next out of this case which we look for I don't have an expectation. I have a hope. Um, the hope is that we have a positive ID pertaining to Peaches, um, the Asian male, as well as um, the, ba the baby. However, just given the circumstances of the baby's age and things like that, um, we don't really know what's going to take place. But I want the identities of these individuals to be known. I want their I want to know their name. I want everyone to know their name. I want their families to, again, have justice. 
Um, when we're dealing with victims, I've got a personal belief that there's no such thing as closure. Um, so I think as long as we can continue to um, support the families, support support the victims' families, um, and go ahead and put a name and um, honor their legacy, that that's that is what I'm expecting, and that is what I'm hoping for. And uh, we've had Othram on the show. They do a lot of this yeah. uh, genetic work, and uh, hopefully they help uh, ID. Uh, the Asian male and peaches and uh, everyone that needs to be ID'd. Uh, Joe Jackalone, uh, he's a retired NYPD sergeant. Uh, he's done it all. He says his favorite gig at the N- NYPD was uh, commanding officer of the Bronx Cold Case Squad. Uh, and they could certainly use cold case investigators on this right now. He's trained investigators from all over the U.S. and around the world. And he's the author of the Criminal Investigative Function, a guide for new investigators. And Joe, your YouTube channel, is it just on, is it just your name on YouTube? Yes. Yep. Okay. We came up with a tagline. Yeah, we're calling it True Crime with the Sarge. But yeah, so it's just my name at Joseph Jackalone. Uh, keeping it simple. So, you know, I'm encouraging Joe. Joe is an awesome (laughs) mind and a great personality. So I'm encouraging him to build up that YouTube channel. So please support him. Um, Joe, what's next in your eyes for this case? Yeah, just uh, echoing what Lisa said. I think those are all important aspects of it. And I think out of all those old cases and kind of like what touch upon what what Mike had said, I think Peaches is the only case that actually holds a real chance to be able to tie to somebody because she was found in the container and there was a blanket in there and there was some other uh, pieces of, you know, the tape, I think they said, that, that held this together. And hopefully if they get lucky and there's some sort of hair follicles or other DNA that they can recover because the other cases, we're dealing with all human remains, uh, with skeletal remains, and the chances of having any connection to anybody, I think, is close to zero. Uh, well put. Again, uh, there is breaking news tonight. The remains of Suzanne Morphew, the missing Colorado mom, her remains have been found. Uh, we're going to do a special show on that tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time, followed by the upcoming Charlie Adelson trial. We're going to do another show on that at 7, 5 o'clock Friday. It's uh, your true great Scott. It's your true crime, Phil, with Scott Duffy and Phil Waters, both who I met for the first time and feel like they are my brother, maybe an uncle with Phil Waters, but I had an amazing time with them. Uh, So we're going to be doing that. Uh, It was great to see everyone. Great to meet these guys. Love you, America. Love you, Utah, Salt Lake City, New York City, my old home, Suffolk County, Nassau County, the Republic of Ireland. We even have viewers in Tasmania. So love you, Tasmania. Until next time. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.